there will be people with special needs who want to come to your church and you've got to be ready to accept them and to love on them. And ready means that you just have to have an open heart and be willing to do what you can to meet their needs. Some are gonna have physical needs where you might need to add a ramp or add wheelchair spots in your sanctuary. Some are gonna have developmental needs, like there are children with autism who just need you know, an extra person sitting by or extra hands on deck whenever certain activities are going on. But the heart of the church is where it really starts. And so if you're wanting to embrace all people, then you're gonna welcome them in just by the act of love that you're showing and by accepting them for who they are, um, regardless of what they can or cannot do. You're listening to the Refraining Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. Uh, Megan, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you started or how you even got involved in the special needs? Like, what was your drive for that? Did you have a child with special needs, a loved one? How did that get started? You know, it is a very interesting story what brought me to this position. I would have never guessed it had you told me 20 years ago that I'd be sitting here. But um, I don't have any special needs in my family. don't have any brothers or sisters, aunts, or uncles. No one in our family has special needs per se. Um, I bet you want to mention. (laughs) Diagnosed. (laughs) um, And I have two children. I have a five-year-old and a four, or almost five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And neither of them have special needs. So there is no special needs in our family. Um, What brought me to this position is when I was in college, I wanted to go and work for a children's camp. And so I had grown up in the camping ministry. My parents worked and lived at a children's camp um, whenever I was in junior high and high school. So when I was in college, I thought that would be something fun to do. So I Googled colleges and I went to a college fair and I mean a camping fair in college and Colorado Easter Seals called me back. So I thought, okay, Colorado sounds pretty good for the summer. It's not Texas. And so they interviewed me over the phone, and I guess I did a really good interview, and they hired me right there. So I um, packed up and moved up to Colorado and arrived at the Easter Seals camp in June, or the end of May, and it wasn't until the very last day of that staff training week that I realized what Easter Seals was. (laughs) I was not the sharpest um, student and did not Google Easter Seals when I was hired. I just went knowing that it was some sort of camping agency. Um, Little did I know, Easter Seals, as you know, is a disability um, organization. That's their whole focus is on special needs. It's like one of the two biggest ones in the nation. Yeah, yeah. You had no idea. It wasn't very sharp, but um, I think that was the Lord's doing. And so I was up there, and I remember at the very end they said, now this is how you transfer someone, and if you, especially if you have campers with CP. 
And I was sitting there just dazed and I walked up at the end <laughs> and I said, I'm so sorry, but can you tell me what a transfer is and what CP is? And at that point they realized that I had no disability whatsoever. But they said if I was willing to um, be trained and willing to give my best shot, that they were willing to work with me. So I agreed to stay because after all, I had driven all that, that time and was ready to spend the summer in Colorado. And it was after that first week, I had two adult campers. I had a woman with cerebral palsy and a woman who had had a stroke. And both of them required total care. And so for a week, I was giving total care to these women who were old enough to be my mother. And that's when the Lord really impressed it upon my heart that special needs was someplace where I belonged. So it wasn't anything in my family. It wasn't even my choice. It was the Lord moving me where I was either going to stay and trust he was going to walk away. Um, but luckily, I chose the first, and my life's been changed since. What kind of care were you involved with? Well, I was doing everything for them. I was um, bathing, dressing, toileting, um, was getting them involved in activities, feeding even. One of my campers required puree foods, so I was actually feeding her, basically doing everything that I would do for myself, but for myself and two other people for the week. And you had no training whatsoever. I didn't. I had um, the week of training that they gave me at camp. Um, after they realized that last day that I didn't know much <laughs> of anything, quickly got some people around me and tried to give me more. But it was just a lot of trusting that I had, a, you know, the right heart towards it and that I was going to do everything I could to take care of them and that I was going to make this a great week for them. Basically, it was your heart that was the ministry. It wasn't the place necessarily or the people. It was that you said, Lord, I'm here and here we go. I just want, Absolutely. People, Absolutely. I just want people to hear that because that's <laughs> where it really does start. Um, from there, after you left Easter Seals or after you left that summer, did anything change in your direction or were you studying something in a, another degree program? Where did you take that? I did, yes. Before I went to that camp, I was pre-med and um, really wanted to work, you know, as a doctor, was really concerned with that path. When I came back from that camp experience, I realized that having a family and um, being involved in my community was more important to me than all the schooling and the work that a physician would require. So I switched at that point to social work. So I... Um, Instead of going the medical route of helping families, I went more of the social route. And so I found that a lot of my experience and a lot of my drive um, for the medical part of that really blended in with social work and being able to care for the whole person. And so I was able to take that then and use my experience with the disability camp that I worked at and my passion um, for people and kind of blend that together to um, to make who I am today. Did you have any fears or any apprehensions when you made that switch or as you were in the process of this? Because that's a pretty big turnaround. It is. You know, I have always been or was always um, a pretty fearful child growing up. 
I was scared of lots of things, especially the unknown, not knowing what was going to happen. And so I always had all of my ducks in a row and knew <laughs> where I was going to be in 10, 15, 20 years. And so, yeah, that really works well, doesn't it? Um, oh, yeah. It's just great with Christian faith, isn't it? Yes, it's exactly <laughs> what you mean. So whenever I, well, first of all, landing in Colorado and realizing that I didn't know what I was doing threw me for a total loop. Right. But that was where I think the Lord first started to grab a hold of me and say, listen, you think you have this planned, but I have a bigger plan. And so you have to trust me in this. And so my fear of the unknown and fear of letting go started to kind of subside. Um, it was clear then that through the different things in my life, from that point up until now, and even still today, uh, all of those little fears that I've clung to, the Lord has slowly brought experiences in that have helped me to release those to him and to allow him to carry that and me not be burdened with that. Well, when we talked earlier this week and you had mentioned fears, I did, <clears throat> excuse me, I did a little study on fear because I think fear is one of the common um, emotions that most people feel around those who are different. And in my studies, Actually, psychologists have addressed this, and their hypothesis is that the fear of death or of something very different, like imminent danger, often motivates us towards a spiritual direction, huh. which I thought, that's very, in exactly, that's interesting. That's it was done from a secular study, and um, it's, it's a perceived threat. One of the books that I read recently talks about our fears being a result of an unharnessed imagination. Huh. And when we are afraid, we are, um, our imagination is of what could happen. And so my thought is, what could really happen when you're caring for someone who has a disability? Of course, there are medical issues. But like you said, you knew nothing. And you loved them and cared for them. And that's where it really begins. Um, I also asked several pastors about what their fears are regarding having a special needs ministry. And mm -hmm. it's fear of being unprepared, fear of the unknown, and fear of being ignorant. And so I want to encourage our listeners, we need to harness our imaginations and bring them back under God's control. Because as you said, God t brought things into your life that turned it around. Absolutely. From there, you graduated. And then did you go right into ministry or what did you do after that? Well, from there, once I graduated, I worked in the church in Lubbock for a little bit. I did benevolence and bereavement. So it was basically church social work. So I was able to take my social work experience, my church experience, and mesh those together. Um, then my husband and I, we got married, decided to move up to Dallas. Shortly after, I was looking for a job and found a um, social work position at a place called Presbyterian Village North. And once again, you would think that I've learned by now, but <laughs> I did not Google them. <laughs> I showed up for the interview not knowing where I was or what it was. It looked like medical social work from the description, which I thought you know, great combo of what I'm used to. And so I was sitting in the waiting room, waiting for them to call me back to be interviewed. And I noticed that there were a lot of elderly people and it quickly dawned on me that I was in a nursing home. 
a long-term care village. And so this specific building happened to be the nursing home center. Um, the whole space looked more like a medical complex, but where I was, it was clearly a nursing home. So I went into the interview and I thought, I don't, I don't do this. You know, I can handle <laughs> disability, but I can't handle, you know, the elderly. And at that point, I still had a huge fear of death and dying and, you know, just didn't want to face that. And I thought, you know, Lord, this is not my cup of tea. You give me a child or an adult with a disability, and I'm great, but I'm not ready to just sit, you know, with elderly. And so I went into the interview and um, did my best to blow it. I <laughs> a salary that I... I needed that I thought was way high and once again they said do you have any experience and I said no not at all no I agree mm -mm. but no experience <laughs> and I went home expecting to get a letter saying thank you but no thank you well the next day I got a call and they said we would like for you to come and work for us so once again it was the Lord saying I need you here and I need you to learn this lesson now so I was obedient and I went to work for Presbyterian Village North and I worked in the nursing home and it was there that I learned to, to really trust God with every part of my life. I met a resident who um, was a Gideon for years and years. He just wanted someone to read scripture to him. So I went into his room and he just wanted me to read scripture because his eyesight was failing and he just wanted the words read. And so I asked him where he wanted to start and he said, let's start in John. So I opened up to the book of John, first chapter, started reading. I think I got two words in, and he started finishing the sentence. And he read or quoted the entire first chapter of John to me as I sat there. And at that point, I realized that the Lord has a lot of work to do in our lives, no matter how old we are. That he was laying in his bed, not able to see not really able to get up and do much, but he was still ministering because he was ministering to me in that moment and he was still able to minister to others. So I think that's where my first um, experience with being disabled in a sense changed a little bit also because I was able to be with someone, you know, in their last few years of life and really see how much the Lord still used every ounce of life that was left in them. And it was, I actually was with that same man as he passed away and was able to sit there and he was talking about the things that he was seeing and the, the people that he was seeing. But it wasn't your typical, like, I see Jesus, I see Peter. He saw Ezekiel with the wheels. <laughs> I just remember thinking, okay. Are this, you kidding? Yeah. I, I, told <laughs> I said, Michael, they don't wear name tags in heaven. <laughs> no. And I thought that's, to me, that was peace. And that was, wow, we're not going to a place where we don't know. We're going to know and we're going to feel at home. And that's just going to be natural to us. So it was that moment, my fear of death and the unknown was really just um, comforted. I just felt like the Lord was giving me little glimpses saying, I got you. I'm taking care of you. So let me continue to you down this journey and let's see where we go next. That, um, that is so touching. 
I think I would have cried the whole time I worked there. <laughs> oh, I cried a whole lot. And then I got pregnant with my first child. So my hormones were off the chart. <laughs> so I was just the best. I was the biggest mess. You just, at our house, we just have given up on tissue and we carry around a big roll of toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> on some days because we're like, it's one of those days. That's just how it goes. Um, caregivers, this isn't something we've talked about earlier. Um, but I want to talk about it for a minute. Caregivers are astounding, and you were able to sit with them. What were what were what was that experience like, and what were some of the needs that you saw present, and and how did the Lord work in those areas? In the nursing home. Yes. Um. Yeah. There were lots of times where. I was, well, I was the social worker on the floor. And so I was the main contact for a lot of the caregivers. Um, to see some of them coming in hours, you know, every day and really trying to be everything they could to their loved one who was in the home was, it just broke my heart. It, um, it made me realize that the family bond never stops, but it grows stronger and that we all take different roles. And so these, these adults who, who were old enough to be my mother, you know, and then their parents were in the nursing home, they were talking to me and having a real struggle with how they were perceived as taking care of their parents as if they were their children. So they said, you know, my mom used to die for me and now I'm having to feed her. And they said, this is something that I was never ready to experience. Um, but letting them know, it was a lot of talking to them and letting them know that that's okay. And that's part of the process. And then that's how we show our love in the end, um, that if there's needs to be met, you know, we meet them and we don't look at roles and we don't look at what we expected things to be like, but this is how it is. And how can we love our family members through every aspect of it? Not how can we make our roles still fit and how can we still do what we want to do and what experiences we haven't gotten to do yet and what we want to do before the time is up. But how can we continue to love them every day until the Lord says, this is the last day. What were some of the needs of the caregivers? You know, they just needed to know that they were doing as well as they could. I think a lot of them felt guilty yes. um, for either not being there as more than they could and some were there all the time. Um, a lot of them felt guilty for things that had happened in the past, either disagreements or um, things that had come up that they really never felt settled on. And so they all just needed to know that that's all forgotten and that what matters is what you're doing now, how much you're able to do, what love you're able to show, and what relationship can still continue to be built. Um, so I think that was the biggest thing is just letting them know it's okay. You know, it's, and giving them permission even to go see a movie, say, you know, you need to take a night out with your husband. I'll stay with your mother or we have other, you know, residents and um, workers who will sit with your mother while you take some time for yourself and then come back tomorrow and you'll, you'll feel better. So just giving them permission to, to still be themselves, um, and to still do what they need to do for their own families, but love for that family member that was there. How many of those that you interacted with were related to or connected with some kind of church or some kind of Christian organization? Was that a common thing? Yes, okay. that was very common. Most okay. of them had 
faith. Um, most of them had a church home that was local. And I think that made a big difference on the environment. That nursing home that I worked at was phenomenal. Really? And it's probably not the norm. Um, there were lots of families involved, lots of visitors, um, lots of cheery things. It wasn't a depressing place. And I think that is because of all of the, the faith that was involved from the workers all the way down to the families. Well, I'm so glad that you just said that because I did a little study, another little study uh, in uh, the magazine that we were talking about earlier. It's from um, Christian Counseling Today, which is a journal that I get. And they have done a plethora of studies on how faith interacts with those who are suffering or caregivers or those with disabilities. Okay, so I'm going to really quickly read a couple of the statistics because this is astounding, which also talks to the um, need that we have for our churches to really understand um, a caregiver and how to be with them. <laughs> Overall life strength, there were 326 separate studies, and it proved that the overall life strength of those who had a Christian foundation was 79 to 82% higher and stronger wow. than those who had no faith. Um, they had 83% higher um, optimism, 73% higher in hope, sense of meaning in life. They, said they show 93% of those who knew the Lord felt they had a sense of meaning and purpose in life as they were enduring these things. There was a 79 to 93% better social engagement which I think is fascinating because we are so isolated. And the marital satisfaction went up 86%. So that alone in this study was huge. It's been done over 20 years. It's out of this magazine. I'm going to show you the picture of it. I don't know if you can see it. That's the magazine that it's out of because those statistics, if you want to look them up, there were far too many that I could cite because the resources were so huge. I mean, the studies were so big. But... It calls us as Christians absolutely to, to the need that when you have a when you have a Christian foundation and you can bring that truth to someone who is in need, it is an astounding difference that it can make. Um, so oh, and also, you want to run and just tell everyone this is this will help the Lord will help the Lord will help. I know. Okay, and also as a caregiver because I am one and I know that compromised health is a huge deal. Um, those with faith, 57% had lower bread, blood pressure and hypertension. So I guess I must not have strong enough faith because mine's been up lately. 56% <laughs> stronger immune system functioning, 74% higher endocrine functioning, 55% lower rates of cancer, 68% significantly greater longevity. Mm -hmm. I'm a caregiver. My health has been compromised because I have not attended to the things that we're supposed to attend to and because I have allowed a lot of the fears at times mm -hmm. to overtake. And so your position as caring for them, like you said, I just sat with them. I just read scripture. I let them know it was okay to be where they were. That doesn't take a degree. It doesn't take scriptural knowledge necessarily, although it's helpful. It takes a heart 
And that's what it, we keep coming back to, which I think is fascinating. Right. Um, right. What's also interesting is you were working with the largest possible population of those who are disabled. And I did a little study on Alzheimer's from the alzheimers.org um, site. It's gone up 68% between mm. 2000 and 2010. And they talk about the caregivers there as well. And I'm touching on this because pastors and church members, as we age, we need to know who is around us. And that disability is not something that we can just see with our naked eye, but it is something that is oftentimes unseen, but for the Alzheimer's and dementia disability alone, caregivers, it said, um, in 2012, 15.4 million families and friends provided 17.5 billion hours of unpaid care and 216 billion dollars mm -hmm. went towards that care. These are people using their money, their time to take care of someone. They have right. needs. Due to the physical and emotional toll of the caregivers with Alzheimer's and dementia, 9.1 billion in additional health care costs come from people who are caregivers. Anyways, when I see the billion dollar mark, it just makes me go, Okay, there's a need. Come yeah. on, guys. We got to figure out how to meet this. All right, let's move on to your to, to how you ended up at Stonebriar. Please tell me you did not Google Stonebriar. <laughs> I was attending Stonebriar, so at least I knew where it was. Oh, shoot. So you knew a little bit more about it, but you're at I this did. residential home. But I still I still um, did not make it easy, I guess. I still had to have the Lord push me quite a bit. I need to learn. I mean, after three times, I should probably have learned by now. But So for Stonebriar, um, I was working at the nursing home, had my first baby, was on maternity leave and planning to go back to work part-time. My husband was a police officer, and so we were able to work our schedule out where if I went back to work part-time, he could you know, watch the baby while I was at work. And we thought it would work great. You know, you think all these plans when you're a new mom and then the baby comes and you realize none of that works. Yeah, what was so, I thinking? <laughs> it, we were up in a mess. And my once again, hormones, I was going, I was, you know, just off of having a baby. And there was a position at the church. We were attending Stonebriar. And the position for director of special needs was open. And knowing my experience at the church or with the church back in Lubbock and my experience with special needs and then the nursing home, I thought, you know, that might be a good fit. So I sent my um, <laughs> resume in. I sent it in on a whim. Well, they called me. I did not think they were going to call me, but they did. And they asked me if I would like to come interview. And they caught me on a bad day because um, at that point I was not liking Dallas and that day. I just remember I just had a baby, wanted to get back home to my family. So when they said, could you come interview? I said, actually, I think the I think that we're going to be moving back to Lubbock, which is where <laughs> I was from. Um, so I'm not going to come interview because I, you know, I'd hate to take the job and then us move back to Lubbock within a month. Had y'all been talking about moving back to Lubbock? No, I had, but my husband had. <laughs> so I hung up the phone and my husband walks around the corner and he said, what did you just say? And I said, well, I told him I didn't want to interview for that position because we're going to move back to Lubbock. And he I said, lied. yeah, he said, we're not moving back to Lubbock. And I said, 
we're not. And he's, he said, no, he said, I don't think that's where the Lord wants us. He said, I have a good job here. We have a great church, which you were just asked to come and interview for. But, um, and you know, he said, I think we're, I think we're supposed to be here. So it was a couple months later, actually, that the Lord had to work on me. He worked on my heart for a couple months. They still had not filled the position at the church. The children's pastor came and spoke to our Sunday school class and said, you know, this position is still open. We're still looking for someone. Everyone in our Sunday school class turned around and looked at me because they all knew my experience of working in a church and with disabilities. Did you know and they knew slithered? I wanted part-time. Yeah. You kind of slithered like the pink panther. You yes. slithered down in the seat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so one of my friends, actually, her husband turned around and said, Megan, why haven't you interviewed for that? And I said, well, I really want to move back to Lubbock. And I thought that's what we were going to do. And he <laughs> said, do you know that sometimes your plans aren't the Lord's plans for you? And maybe the Lord wants you here. And it was that instant that I thought, okay, you know, he's done it before. He has put me in positions that I didn't think I was ready to do. And he's really, you know, used that to shape who I am. So maybe I ought to trust him again. <laughs> and so I did. I turned in my interview. I, I mean, my application again. I interviewed and they hired me. That was seven years ago. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> so I, looking back on it and looking at all the steps through from graduating high school up until this point, it's very clear that the Lord was using these other jobs and positions to really prepare me for this position. I did not know what this would entail until I got into it, but it's really used my skills from Easter Seals with disability, obviously, but also my social work background, my relational background, like working with caregivers in the nursing home and even with elderly, there are lots of um, similarities and even getting to use some of my experience in nursing home, um, nursing home experiences with other families in the church. But the Lord clearly was working in a way to put me in this position at this time. And I'm just grateful that I had people, you know, mainly my husband and friends speaking into my life saying, no, you know, I think the Lord wants us here and um, that he was able to give me a second chance and, and allow this position to still be open. Isn't it amazing how um, that guy turned around and said, you know, sometimes the Lord's plans aren't our plans. Why is that so hard to remember? Because he also promises that he's going to work things out together for good, which, by the way, can often be used as a verse taken out of context, like, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to all work together for good. And you want to slap someone when they say that when you're <laughs> suffering. Yes. However, it's the good for his honor and glory. Right. And when we surrender to that, that's what changes things. And that's the peace comes and the rest and the assurance that I'm in the right spot. And you can just, you feel that, you know, you know, whenever you're, you're where the Lord wants you to be. And then he and that's what you. the past seven years have been. It's just been that peace knowing that every time there's something new that comes <clears> that, you know, the Lord's got this, he's got it. And he's going to use me however he needs to use me or throw me out of the way. And he's going to do it himself but he's got it. I don't have to, I don't have to take that control. Um, when we talked earlier and you were telling me about the gentleman who wanted you to read the book of John, mm -hmm. I was 
I was looking at my Bible, and I'm looking for my little thing that, that talks about John. And in the Tyndale Bible, they have New Living Translation. I don't even know if I even have it on my desk right now. Um, they talk about, they give a little excerpt about John the Baptist and how he was kind of weird and, you know, wore weird clothes and was out there. But it was his obedience to bringing the truth to people that, that they listened and right. they heard. So it was obedience. It wasn't that he had all this knowledge. And again, I keep coming back to that because so many people who hear special needs ministry go, oh, I can't do it. I don't have the knowledge. I don't know enough. I'm not trained. I don't have the special rooms. Well, Christ didn't have any special rooms. I mean, right. he had Zacchaeus up in the tree, <laughs> you know, and sometimes our kids end up in trees, but that's another subject. True, true. Um, now that you have been in the position, which you are phenomenal, and I will say right now, no other church on earth can ever contact Megan to ask her to come to their church because she wants <laughs> us. <laughs> because I know better than the Lord. <laughs> so let me ask you this. As you work with parents and caregivers, I've been on both sides. I've been the parent who was so incredibly critical before I had a son with disabilities. He was like, give them a parenting card. They have no clue. Can you believe the Lord gave them kids? I hate that, that it's been a humbling point. I've also been on the side of give her a parenting card. She has no clue and tell her that she needs to get out of bed from being depressed because it's been two weeks now to it. So there's entitlement and there are attitudes on both sides. And I want us to come together as ministering in harmony. What direction and advice do you have for parents who are caregivers of any age because the children are the smallest group of disabilities of disabled people in general what would you say to parents about working in harmony with the church and with others you know i would say to give the church the benefit of the doubt um, most parents come in and are ready to fight for everything they get which is natural i know that in the school system in the um, healthcare system, you're fighting for every little thing. But in the church, we want to be different. And I think that parents come in ready to have to fight. And I just wish that they would come into the church saying, you know, this is what the body of Christ is supposed to do. And this is what I'm going to allow them to do. And to give, um, give the church the benefit of the doubt saying that, you know, we might not know what's going on, but we want to be there to support you. And so I think a lot of times we've seen, I've had parents come in to my office, you know, ready to go to blows for what their child needs to accomplish or needs to do on Sunday morning. You know, this is where I want them to be. This is what I want them to be learning. That's that, that, that. I sit and I listen. I listen a lot. And then at the end, I say, you know what? This is what we do on Sunday morning. And this is what we have already in in place for your child. This is how our church is already welcoming your child before your child even got here. This is what we're already doing. What else do I need to do to make you feel comfortable? People are out there who want to make you feel comfortable. They want you to be there. They want you to have a great experience because they want you and your family to love coming to church. But you have to be willing to share that information in a nice way and in a humbling way, both sides. So I think it's just a lot about communication and about, um, you know, how can we both share the information that we have? Because we as a church have information that we need to get across 
the families have information they want to share. How can we both share but both listen at the same time and be flexible enough in both ways to understand that we're going to make this work? It's not going to look the same for every child or every family or every church, but we're willing to do whatever we can to adjust in order to make you feel comfortable. You know, it's interesting, Megan. I never knew I had, um, I had such a fighting spirit until I was put in that position. So parents, it's time for a little humbling, perhaps. But it's time for um, us to soften our hearts a little bit. I found this reading. Well, you know, on that point, Colleen, also, I, yeah. the church also has to recognize where these families are coming from. I it's agree. That you're doing that right. intentionally towards a church. But if you recognize that every little thing is a big ordeal for these families, even right. just getting in the car to come and meet with you is a huge ordeal for some of our families. Hours. So you try to put yourself in that position right. that, you know, what has this family already been through before they've even stepped foot in my office? That helps the church members or the church workers kind of readjust their attitudes of, okay, let's see, let's see why they're, why they have such a defense on, you know, why their defense mechanism is so high. What can we do to help alleviate that? So I think it's both. And I think both of us have to start understanding where each other is coming from. I think that, you know, until the church can really recognize where a family is struggling mm -hmm. and how much struggle there is mm -hmm. that we will never see, mm -hmm then we won't, we will never be able to minister to them effectively until we can do that. Yeah, I was um, taking a class that was put together by Johnny Erickson Tata. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the assignments is to, um, is to be in a disabled condition for several days, mm -hmm. rent a wheelchair for several days, or um, close your eyes and be blind for several days, or, you know, somehow put yourself in a position of that. And um, it's unbelievable. Very humbling. What you yeah. learn and how you're treated. And, right. and so back to that question, because there is a lot of animosity between people who have family members who are disabled and then those in the church who can be rather harsh and critical. And so finishing the other side of that question, which we mm -hmm. were on, what kinds of things can you say to people in the church, come on guys, let's really work with these families. You did mention a couple of things, but what are a couple other things? You know, we try to let our church members know that we just, I mean, we try to just reiterate the whole time that we don't know the whole story. We yes. will never know the whole story. Um, and things that seem very simple for us are very complex for them. Um, thinking about noises, about lights, about body touch, if someone rubs up against you, and just having a soft spirit. If you see a child melting down, you know, to not first assume that it's a parenting thing, but that it just might be one of those days for those kiddos. And um, to do whatever they can to help in a loving manner, but not in a critical manner. Um, what is so helping I, in a loving manner? I'm sorry, I interrupted you, but oh, that's oh, a great thing. Um, helping in a loving manner might just mean putting your hand on the mom's shoulder and saying, you know, I'm sorry or I'm praying for you, or you'll get through this, or even just a soft smile as opposed to a critical glare. Um, 
sometimes it's, uh, can I hold your purse while you deal, you know, while you're struggling with your child or even, you know, some parents like for you to ask if there's anything you can do to help. And there might be nothing, but right. just the thought that someone is willing to help. We've also tried to tell, you know, to encourage our members that this doesn't just happen in the church. This happens every day in the grocery store or in the mall. There's so many times where I'm in the grocery store and a child is melting behind me and you just, you know, your heart breaks for that family. And so as many of our church members who are learning now to show empathy and compassion to these moms and to these families, um, that's spreading out into our community and making a difference as opposed to the glares and the parenting books and the, you know, writing notes on a card saying spanking works or spanking doesn't work, you know. You know, we just, we want to show empathy and compassion like Christ would. Right. My dad has a saying that, that we've adopted in our home, in fact, that we live by. And that is, unless you have spent 24 hours a day for your entire life in that person's home and in their shoes, then you have no clue at That's all about what they're going through. And therefore, you really don't have anything to say except... How can I help? Can I care? I love the idea. Can I hold your purse? Why don't I help with this or help with that? Or how about just saying, I'm so impressed with how you're enduring this. It must be so tough. Basic empathy goes so far. I know you also mentioned acknowledgement. And then when we were talking earlier, the parking spaces, just having, just having an area where especially these families have a place to park up close because walking can be hard. Right. Those right. with chronic pain, it can be exhausting. Absolutely. Um, what I was going to read earlier, <clears throat> and now that my eyes are clear, I can read <laughs> Sorry. It's by Leo Biscaglia, and he says, too often we underestimate the power of touch, mm. of a smile, of a kind word, of a listening ear, an honest compliment or the smallest act of caring all of which have the potential to turn life around mm -hmm. you have the potential to turn somebody's mm -hmm. life around absolutely and then also <clears throat> when it comes to us as parents when we are struggling one um, writer says within sorrow there is grace mm -hmm. When we come close to those things that break us down, we touch those things that also break us open. Mm -hmm. And in that breaking open, we uncover our true nature. Mm -hmm. And that is what Christ wants us to get to in this. It's really not about special needs or a special needs department per se. As you said, Christ had a lot of working on me to do. It's about being broken down, so we're broken open. Right. And then he can deal with our truest nature. Churches of any size, I'm thinking 90% of churches in America are under 100 people. So they can look at Stonebriar and think you have thousands of people and a well-known pastor. And so, of course, it's easy for you. But what would you say to those churches? I would say that it's our calling every church, regardless of your size. There will be people with special needs who want to come to your church and you've got to be ready to accept them and to love on them. And ready means that you just have to have an open heart and be willing to do what you can to meet their needs. Some are gonna have physical needs where you might need to add a ramp or add wheelchair spots in your sanctuary. 
Some are going to have developmental needs, like there are children with autism who just need, you know, an extra person sitting by or extra hands on deck whenever certain activities are going on. But the heart of the church is where it really starts. And so if you're wanting to embrace all people, then you're going to, you're going to welcome them in just by the act of love that you're showing and by accepting them, accepting them for who they are, um, regardless of what they can or cannot do. So, you know, Stonebriar does have a ministry that is, um, Larger than most, you know, we have specialized classrooms as well as inclusion. Um, we service children and adults all the way from birth through adults. Um, but that's not the norm. And that does not have, you do not have to say we can't take people with special needs because we don't have specialized classrooms or we can't take people with specialized needs because we don't have a pastoral leader on staff to handle that. Um, that's our role as a church is to welcome these families with special needs. So even if you don't have any designated space, you can still include a child with special needs in your typical classroom. I would say that most churches are already doing that. Most of them just don't know. Um, a lot of families fly under the radar and yes. they will, they'll take the behavior, um, the behavior issues, but they won't take the child who's diagnosed with autism. And so a lot of families just won't mention the word autism and they'll just, you know, kind of fly their child in there and, and see what happens without really making a stir. Um, so a lot of churches are already doing something. They just don't realize it or they're not aware of how much their staff is doing behind the scenes to prepare for those kiddos. Um, my husband and I are familiar with a lot of families who have children and we call them the um, biters, kickers, runners, and strippers <laughs> because a lot of the typical, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the symptomatic behaviors, biting, kicking, running, stripping. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that? Are there, are there places to go for learning and, and how can churches figure that out? You know, there are, there are lots of things that we try to do to alleviate that before it starts. The nonviolent. That's uh, a good idea. <laughs> yeah. He's taking his clothes off. Let's start there. <laughs> you know, we have Naked Sunday about once a month and we just roll with it. You know, we, we preach Jesus and have Naked Sunday all at the same time and it works. It works. And there are just times where you have to laugh and you have to say, this is just what makes my job even that much better. Who gets to have this many experiences in one Sunday? But, you know, we do try. We Our goal is to not have things like that happen. Yes. Just because it makes it a little bit easier, less instant reports to write up and less, um, less meetings we have to have. But so we do nonviolent crisis prevention. Um, okay. The CPI is the Crisis Prevention Institute. And they um, teach a lot of the skills for how you can start de-escalating behavior. So if anxiety is starting to increase, then they teach you what to do to help de-escalate that before it reaches a physical component. Um, a lot of teachers in the school system are already trained on this. And so if you have volunteers in your um, classroom who are school teachers, you might check with them because most of them are already trained. Um, some there are trainings offered all over the country. Our local Johnny and Friends office offered a yeah. training last year, and it was phenomenal. I was able to get a few of my key volunteers trained in that. Okay. Um, but the training specifically, it goes further than the verbal communication. It goes into the physical 
um, hands-on approach, which is always the last resort. But as ministry grows and as the children grow, it's a need. We want, we would rather be prepared and not have to use it than get to a point where we have a child physically acting out, causing harm to themselves or others and not know what to do. Okay, you so just mentioned- Just to be prepared. Okay, the crisis, what is that called again? Crisis Prevention. Okay. Um, crisis Prevention Institute, CPI. So, okay. Yeah. Um, I also, because of your work with Easter Seals and mm -hmm. with Johnny and Friends, because I love Johnny so much, I also want to take away the excuse that there's not enough information out there. Um, on the Johnny and Friends website, there are 15 pages of training material and resources, yes. not to mention all the books and all the stuff that she has, and Easter Seals. This is just one example of etiquette. Uh, yes. how to get along, the arc of the United States is phenomenal. Um, the information's out there. Absolutely. But it's the heart. It is, yes. Um, what resources have you found so beneficial? Because, Megan, you are amazing. Um, <laughs> I know you don't think you are, and I know you go and you speak and you never tell people that you do, but I will tell people that you do. What resources have you found really excellent that have helped you come to where you are? You know, I, whenever I first started, um, when I started seven years ago, I just, I tried to learn in different stages. And so the first thing that I wanted to do was learn our church. So I really, I studied our church. I studied the ministries. I got involved with several ministries just to know kind of who our church is. Cause I think until you know that you're not going to know how disability is going to fit into that. So you really have to know the basics of your church. And then I started branching out into our community and really getting to some of the agencies around. And so local supports, um, who are offering trainings, like which physician's offices, which hospitals, which agencies right here in our area offer free trainings or trainings for minimal costs. And I sat in on every one that I could Fabulous. just to get training. And there are yes. so many, if you Google disability and your city name, you'll find a wealth of information and just start getting on everyone's email list. And as trainings come about, sit in on the ones you can. And then there's the national organizations like Johnny yes. and Friends. Um, the Inclusive Church is probably my favorite blog. Yes. Amy Fenton Lee, who works for um, Rethink and the Orange Conference, they are really starting to take a huge lead in special needs ministry within the church, specifically okay. for curriculum and um, the desire to present the gospel to these kiddos. This is not a babysitting opportunity. Our kids are coming into this church for a reason, and that's so that they can know Christ. So for aspects within the church, um, you know, Amy Fintley and the Inclusive Church and Orange are probably some of the best resources. She has a new book that came out in April. Okay. Um, I think I have that here if you want to see it. It's, awesome. Leading a special needs ministry. That is an awesome book. So I it, love it. Yes, <clears throat> does great job. Um, kind of giving the basics. Okay. Again, Johnny and Friends. We have a local. We're lucky because we have a great local chapter here in Dallas. Um, they are great at helping connect churches with each other, and then also connecting families who are saying, "Hey, we don't have a church. We don't know where to go." So Johnny and Friends will help connect churches to families. They are also ones who do a lot of local training. So if you have a Johnny and Friends office in your area, 
hook up with them and get on their list because they've done some phenomenal volunteer training for us. Um, so that's just, I mean, there's, there's so much out there. You're right. You really there is. Start whittling it down to find out what meets your needs in your church. We, our goal in our church is to share the love of Christ and to do it in a safe environment for our kiddos. So every training that we do, we want to make sure that it lines up with those goals. We don't, we're not into teaching our volunteers how to do therapy in the church, how to, you know, do certain things that might be great on the outside. But in our church, we only have one hour a week and we want to really instill the love of Christ in these kids. And so we try to look for trainings and opportunities that will help our volunteers be successful in that um, as opposed to some other things. And, and I will say it is working. Because you said over 200 volunteers, I think, which yes. you pulled together. And you're right. It's not a lack of information. It comes back to the heart. Um, I want to close with a story I just heard this morning. Okay. And it was about a guy who was a volunteer firefighter. He thought, you know, I'm going to be this big, powerful, you know, super dude. And middle of the night, gets a phone call. House is on fire. He shows up and the captain goes, the lady's cat is inside her house. He's thinking, I'm going to rescue a cat. <laughs> whatever. I wanted to fly over tall buildings. Well, he says he went in there, he rescued the cat and on his way out, he grabbed a pair of shoes for her. And a couple weeks later, a note came to the station and the lady had written a wonderful, wonderful note saying, thank you so much for taking care of my animal, which was so valuable to her. But she said, I can't tell you how much it meant that you took a moment to notice. I didn't have any shoes. Mm -hmm. And you brought me some shoes. How great is that? Mm -hmm. Just bring someone some shoes. What it's all about. Just show up. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, contact Megan. Look at what we have here on our site. Uh, we've got a ton of resources. But think about that. You don't have to fly over buildings. You can just bring shoes. And, and that's just enough. Megan, thank you for your time. I so, so appreciate it. I think I could continue talking to you for forever. <laughs> but like I said in closing, our show notes will have all of her information and how they can get a hold of you, Megan, and also the resources. And then our website. I really, really want to invite people, invite you to um, exchange your thoughts, your ideas. Talk about some fears that you may have regarding a special needs ministry. And for pastors, um, I... I want to challenge you to really pray. And if you are a pastor, I would love to hear from you. So I can pray that your heart would perhaps maybe be open and less fearful. So that's it for our interview. And I want to say thank you so much. Thanks. This was fun. Have a great day. Okay. Bye. You can find the show notes and referenced resources in the podcast description or on our website, reframingministries.com. If you were impacted by today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you rated and reviewed the podcast, shared it on your social media, or share it with some friends who you think would be touched. You can email me personally at reframingministries at insight.org. If you'd like to be updated on reframing's activities and content, please feel free to subscribe on our website. Thank you again for joining us today at Reframing Ministries. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know in the comments on our website. Our desire is to provide biblical help, hope, 
healing and humor for people walking through unique and challenging segments in life. And in order to provide for more people, we'd love your support through prayer, sharing this content with friends, and partnered support. Reframing Ministries and Insight for Living Ministries operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. You can partner with us and donate to Reframing Ministries through our website. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.